Where can we go? To whom can we turn for help when we don't know what to do or what to think or how to move forward? God's word is filled with accounts of pain and suffering. God's people have always been acquainted with grief. And God has much to say to you about your suffering as a believer, as a Christian, as his beloved child. Here in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is very open and honest about the suffering he and other church leaders have endured. He says, at one point, things got so bad that they even despaired of life itself. As we read earlier in 1 Kings 19, even Elijah, arguably one of the greatest Old Covenant prophets, even after this amazing account where the Lord rains down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, he burns up the offerings, he burns up the wood, he burns up the water surrounding the altar. Even after the Lord gave him victory over the prophets of Baal, he fled to the wilderness to escape the wrath of Jezebel, and he asked God to take his life some of you know what that feels like, to be weary, to feel like there's no point in going on, to despair of life itself. And indeed, as believers, you're not alone in your pain. God knows your suffering, and he has words of comfort for you this morning. Paul doesn't begin here first with his own difficulties. He begins with a blessing. He blesses you with grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he turns to bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And pay attention to how he describes our Father. First, he is the Father of mercies. We see in Scripture, he is the Father who receives with joy and celebration the, re the repentant prodigal son. He's not harsh with us. When we suffer, it's not because he desires bad things for us because he wants to get even with us, if you will. In fact, we see the opposite. He is full of mercy that is replenished daily so that it never runs dry. He loves us. He is moved by our afflictions. does not delight in your pain, although he does use painful things for your good and for his glory. We know clearly that God works all things together for good for his people. All things includes 
painful things. It includes suffering. Kids, how many of you like to go to the doctor or the dentist to get a, to get a shot or to get your teeth poked at and get the drill in there? I'm not surprised. I know when I was a kid, I didn't like it. Even as an adult, I don't really like it. So then why would your parents who love you take you to the doctor's office or to the dentist's office? Is it because they don't really love you and they just want you to feel pain? No. No, in fact, it's because your parents love you and they're concerned for your health and your well-being that they take the time and the money so that you can get the care that you need to be taken well care of. You see, these treatments may hurt for a moment. Getting a cavity filled is uncomfortable for a little while, but it's what is good for you. It keeps the rot from spreading. It keeps you from losing the teeth. That's just an analogy, kids, for us to understand that our Heavenly Father takes good care of us. He does what is good for us. He does what is best for us, even when we don't understand why. He is our Father who loves us, and when we suffer, when we experience things in our lives that we don't like, that cause us pain, we trust that he is good and that his plans for us are good, that he is in control, and that he knows what is best. He is the God of all comfort. He knows when you're hurting and his desire is to comfort you. We read in verse 4 that he comforts us in all our affliction. As we cry in pain, he is there. And his love and his presence give us comfort. Kids, when you fall down and you scrape your knee or you bump your elbow, you get a bruise, sometimes... What you really need is a hug from mom or dad, depending on your age. To kiss it and make it better, you're looking for comfort. As you get older, you still need comfort. People today look for comfort. They look for an escape from their pain and their suffering in all different kinds of places in this world. They may look for an escape in alcohol or drugs or sexual sin or gambling or food or in uh, chasing adrenaline highs. But they find no true comfort, no lasting comfort in those temporary pleasures of the flesh that the world has to offer. But we in Christ receive true comfort, real comfort, 
lasting comfort by his grace through his spirit who dwells in us. This comfort is for us to receive, to experience, to cherish, to be refreshed by, but it's not just for us. We see here that this comfort is for us to share with others. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, God gives us that comfort for our good, but also for us to pass on to one another to be a blessing to each other. You are God's instruments of comfort in one another's lives. His comfort is for any affliction, any, no matter how great or small, the comfort you receive, you are to share. And we see further how this comfort has come to us in Jesus. Jesus has experienced ultimate suffering in our place. He has freed us from the eternal torment of hell. He has paid for our sins in his own body on the cross. However, in this life, we still experience suffering, although it is temporary. Even though it may be very intense, it has an end. Many of us suffer daily, some with chronic illness, some with ongoing pain of broken relationships. But we praise God that our suffering has a time limit. And we see in the scriptures that what endures forever is not our suffering. It is the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. Paul says we share in Christ's sufferings. We don't know the fullness and the extent of his suffering because you and I will never experience the wrath of the Father. In Christ, we will never know what hell feels like. But we do taste suffering in this life. Remember that Christ entered into your suffering willingly. He chose to do so because he loves you. We are born into it. Pain enters our lives without knocking. We don't have a choice about it. Jesus chose to endure our suffering in our place and to bring us the comfort of his salvation. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. 
Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We are one in Christ, and that unity gives us strength. Not all of us have great relationships with our blood relatives, but God has given us a church family, a spiritual family to suffer with, to comfort one another, to draw strength and encouragement from each other as we suffer, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. Now, kids, if you get a bad cut on your hands, what do you do? You just, you just leave it? Just let the blood go out and, yeah, whatever. It's just going to bleed. What do you do? You can answer out loud. It's okay. Yeah, you want to take care of it, don't you? You want to you wash your wound? You want to bandage it? You want to take good care of it? Your hand is part of your body, right? You want to make sure that it's healthy and that it works well. You don't want it to get all infected and fall off. It would make life more difficult. How could you hold two cups of coffee at once? You want to do what it takes to help your injured part of your body to heal. Because it's part of you. The Bible says the same is true of your church family. We are one body together in Jesus. We are all part of each other. And we need to take care of each other. If one person is suffering, we should be there with them to walk through their suffering together with them. Sometimes people need advice. Sometimes they simply need a hug or a prayer or an encouraging word or a card or a note, a hand to hold. Sometimes they just need somebody to sit with them in silence and to be there with them in their sorrow, to be God's messenger of comfort, to remind them that they're not alone. It is a good and healthy thing for us in Christ to share our sufferings with one another. The church is not a place to play pretend. It's not a place to fake it till you make it, to just dress up nice and pretend that you don't have any problems on Sunday morning so that you can keep up appearances. Be open and honest with your church family about your struggles and your suffering so that we can face them together, so that we can be the body of Jesus Christ. You won't be rejected. You won't be condemned. You will be loved and helped and prayed for and encouraged and supported because we are one body. Paul opens up here to us about some of the things that he and his uh, fellow apostles endured 
uh, verse 8 and 9, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He doesn't want the church to be unaware of his affliction. He doesn't hide it away and say, no, I don't want to present myself as weak. I'm a leader. I need to have this strong presentation. I don't want them to know that I despaired of life and that I suffered. That's the temptation of many today to try to keep up an appearance, to wear a mask, instead of being honest and vulnerable. Don't hide your pain and your suffering. Trust your church family. Confide in one another. Share your pain with one another so that you can also share your comfort with one another. Again, Paul says it was so bad at this one point when they were in Asia, that they despaired of life itself. It's as if sending them there, God had sent them to their deaths. He had handed them a death sentence. But in reality, that wasn't the case at all. They learned through that suffering. God brought them through. He preserved them by his grace and Paul sees in hindsight how God used that time of great suffering to remind them to trust and to rely on him and his resurrection power. Our God holds the power of life and death. He raises the dead. And on the last day, all will be raised. And so Paul's testimony in verse 10, is he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We can tend, uh, we can tend to have short memories as people. Yes, God, I know what you have done for me in years past, but what have you done for me lately? What about my present circumstances in your suffering? Think back. Remember what God has done for you in your life. Time and time and time again. Up to this very day. Remember all the impossible situations where you felt despair, where you felt your world was ending, that you were never going to be happy again. Maybe you even thought of suicide, that it would be better that if you were dead and not to be alive. But he was faithful. He provided. He brought you through it. Remember his faithfulness. Trust that he isn't going to fail you this time. He's not going to abandon you. His covenant promise in Jesus is, I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. You must remember that in the midst of your suffering. He says in Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Of course, we know this is fulfilled perfectly through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, the perfect comfort of the Holy Spirit has been sent to dwell in all of us. He works his fruit in our lives. He applies to us the finished work of Jesus. He intercedes for us in prayer. And so it makes perfect sense then that Paul asks in verse 11 of the church, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Prayer is a powerful means of grace that God has given to you. But the power of prayer that James tells us about is not your power or my power. It is the power of God working in and through the prayers of his people. God is sovereign. Full stop. God has sovereignly chosen to use the prayers of his people to carry out his will, his appointed means. You have been given unhindered access to your Father's throne of grace by the power of the Holy Spirit through the finished work of Christ. Use it. Use it well. Use it often. Pray. Pray often. Pray fervently. Pray expecting for the Lord to respond. Develop a regular habit of prayer throughout the day. It's fine to have set times of prayer. It can be very healthy to do. I, you, know, you pray in the morning when you wake up and you pray at meals. You pray before you go to bed. But more than that, while you're going about your day, while you're doing the mundane tasks of life, mowing the yard, washing the dishes, going on a walk, walking the dog. God is with you. Carry on a conversation with him throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. Pray with your eyes open. If you're unsure about praying with your eyes open, that means you never pray while you're driving. I love to pray when I'm on a road trip by myself. That's a great time to talk to God. Pray when you're in line at the grocery store. Each week as we gather for worship. We lift each other up in prayer. Sunday evenings, prayer requests are given, sometimes more personal. During Bible studies during the week, times of fellowship, prayer requests are shared. Remember those requests to the Father day after day, keeping your brother and your sister's needs on your heart before the Lord 
Because prayer, first and foremost, ought not to be a selfish thing. It's something that we use to worship God first and foremost. It's an act of worship. And then to be a blessing to others. Help your brothers and sisters with your prayers. Help your church leaders with your prayers. Paul is not shy for asking the churches to pray for him. Because he knows the power of prayer. He knows that he is weak and that he needs God's grace day by day to serve his church. And as God answers your prayers, that will give us more and more reason to give thanks, to praise his name, to tell others of his faithfulness. And as we serve one another in prayer, we'll see God changing lives. We will see the Spirit at work. We will see that marked growth in grace. And we will see the Spirit continuing to knit together our hearts as one in love. And so join me now in praying for God to hear our prayers for comfort. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this portion from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that you are the God of all comfort. And the comfort that you have given us in Jesus by your spirit, by your grace, through faith, we are to share with others who are in any affliction. We pray that we would be faithful in this ministry of comfort to one another and praying with and for one another. But also we pray that you would give us the strength to be vulnerable with others, to share our sufferings with them, to not hide them away, and to pretend that everything is good when it really is not. That way we may be blessed by the love, the prayers, and the comfort of our church family. We love you because you loved us first, Father, and we look forward to the day when our Lord Jesus will return to bring us home into your house to live forever and ever. We pray these things in his name. Amen.